Before the Ranger Creed is recited by a formation of Rangers at a ceremony, you always hear the narrator say, Will all Rangers, past and present, please join as we recite the Ranger Creed? Every Ranger will stand, and as they say those six stanzas, they are transformed back to a time when they had the pleasure and the burden of this brotherhood. That feeling is hard to describe. However, it's one that never leaves you. It's a connection that spans the globe and can be reignited when you hear the phrase, Hey Ranger, what battalion were you from? Amongst this formation, there are Rangers that stand out. They are legends of this elite organization, and when their names are spoken, people instantly have a story and for a moment, relive it. Legends of the 75th Podcast wants to capture that feeling and those stories. We want to ensure that these legends, triumphs, and sacrifices never fade away. So sit back with your favorite adult beverage and listen to the stories from the Legends of the 75th. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. We have an awesome episode. And actually, uh, you know, I don't want to say necessarily an old friend of mine, but he has actually been on a podcast before. I am old. Well, okay, you got the old part. <laughs> but you got anyway. one part of it right. All right, all right, fair enough. But he's actually, you know, uh, we had the honor of having him on Always in Pursuit to do a Memorial Day episode uh, where we just, we talked about a lot of amazing things. So when we talked about standing up Legend of the 75th, we definitely knew that we needed to sit down with Colonel Retired Keith Nightingale. So if you don't know about Keith, um, you know, Keith has... And I'm just going to cover the highlights. I'm not even going to deep dive into some of the stuff. Hopefully, we'll get into it in the episode. But he actually entered the Army in 1965. He's a plank holder with 175. He served in Vietnam, Iran, Grenada, Panama, and throughout the Middle East, and also the Escobar Task Force. He's also the author of three different books, Just Another Day in Vietnam, A Soldier's Look Back, which is my personal favorite, and Phoenix Rising. Um, you know, some of the highlights of his career, like I said, 175, also Ranger Brigade, RTB, um, three Legions of Merits, four Bronze Stars with Valors, the Vietnamese Medal of Honor, and he's inducted into the Ranger Hall of Fame. So, and again, I apologize. I know there's a lot more, Keith, that we could sit there and talk about, but I want to get into the episode and I want to sit down and I want to talk to you um, just, you know, about your time and everything that uh, kind of surrounds the 75th. So anyway... No, you just got kind of back and you're maybe a little jet lag, got a cold and everything else, but I appreciate you taking the time. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Ready to rock and roll. Let's get it. All right. So, you know, I know we're kind of diving into the middle of your career. Well, maybe not the middle, but definitely the earlier, you know, of the first half. But, you know, what's your kind of story of becoming a ranger? Well, uh, literally, I became a ranger in... Uh, January, February, March of 1966. Uh, I was a commissioned regular army infantry. I went to airborne school and went to the 82nd. And the 82nd made it very clear that any officer in the infantry had to be in the Rangers. So this was before the regiment and all. It was just, you know, a, a rite of passage for an infantry officer. So I went, I came back, and then uh, because it was uh, late 66, we were in Vietnam. I was uh, then put on orders for, the, uh, for Vietnam. And uh, I was initially posted as an advisor to the Airborne Brigade. I landed uh, in uh, Tan Sanut 
went through the initial processing and then they changed my orders to the uh, a Vietnamese Ranger unit because the unit had been pretty much wiped out the command group uh, earlier. Uh, so I joined them, the 52nd Ranger Battalion. Uh, flash forward when the 175 was being formed, uh, I uh, asked Colonel, then Lieutenant Colonel Luer, who was uh, announced as the commander, if I could uh, join him. Uh, Mill percent said I couldn't because I had too much time in the field anyway. And then I talked to Colonel Lure again and I got orders. That's how I joined 175, uh, its creation. Uh, from there on, things just happened. And after I commanded in the 82nd, I went back to 175 as the commander uh, and then the RTB. So that's my sort of Rangers chronology. I want to. I want to talk about, you know, your time at 175, but before we do, you know, if we can, we can dive into a little bit of, you know, your Vietnam and the advisory role that you had with the, the Ranger, you know, battalion there, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about the entire leadership, the leadership of that battalion uh, being wiped out. Now, were you part of a team or were you kind of a sole advisor as far as that? No, that uh, the, the advisory team consisted of a captain, the senior advisor. Mm -hmm. and a lieutenant who is the uh, deputy and the uh, the captain in this case Al Shine went with Major Hep who is the battalion commander and I went to Captain Tote the executive officer and then later when uh, Shine uh, rotated I became the senior command I became the, the senior uh, advisor uh the team consisted of anywhere from four to six people. Right. Uh, usually it was two officers, two NCOs, and theoretically two radio operators. Uh, I never had a full six-man team. Uh, I did uh, grab a SF medic who was uh, kind of in limbo and brought him in. So we had a, uh, my, my particular case as a senior advisor during tech, uh, I had uh, two and myself, uh, no lieutenant. I was by myself initially, uh, and uh, two NCOs and a medic and a radio operator. And that was sort of how we operated the whole time. Understanding we weren't advising, we were basically just coordinating uh, U.S. assets, primarily tactical air and artillery. And any joint coordination needed if we had joint ops, like with the 11th ACR, which was quite frequent. So yeah. that's sort of what I did. Uh, the Rangers were really Rangers. You know, they uh, everything we depict as a Ranger, per se, the mental toughness, the capability, mm -hmm. the professionalism, these guys had. They were just Vietnamese. They weren't American, but they were a first class unit. Were you the only, you know, as far as the American uh, advisors that you were with, were you the only one with Ranger Tab? Uh, no, all of the, both, both of the okay. NCOs were, were Ranger Tab. Uh, and uh, of course I was. Later on, we got to my replacement, Mache, Captain Mouché, uh, who came in in May of 67, uh, 68, excuse me. Uh, was also Ranger qualified. The deal was within the, uh, the call it the elite units, the Airborne, the Rangers, and the Marines. 
any of the advisors had to be well qualified for that for that particular assignment. So in my case, as I said, all the officers and the NCOs were all ranger qualified. The radio operator was not, nor was the medic. He was SF, but that was an aberration. That wasn't part of the normal TOE. Well, and I can, you know, I can imagine even, you know, it's, it applies today when we talk about the advisory mission, you know, that we do. And obviously mm-hmm. that's what I do with, you know, most of my day, <laughs> you know, right now in uniform, but, you know, you, to be of an advisor, you know, you do have to be not just a master of the fundamentals, but you have to be able to teach those fundamentals. And that's, you know, a pivotal part of that. You know, you got to be able to, you know, not just walk the walk, you got to be able to talk the talk. And yeah, you, know, and you, so, you have to talk the talk in their language. Yeah. Uh, and that's a critical issue uh, in the SFABs today. Yeah. Uh, where you use a translator instead of first person, if you would, for training. Uh, in most cases, in our case, uh, we had to we had to be relatively fluent in Vietnamese. Really, uh, the officers spoke English, uh, and you know quite well. I mean, exceptionally well, almost native. Uh, but if you wanted to actually train the troops, like we got the M16, I had to give classes to the troops on the care, cleaning, assembly, disassembling and functions of the m16 i had to do that in vietnamese uh, because you know the troops with few exceptions did not know english you know they were mountain yards they were chams they were nungs they were uh ethnic vietnamese kind of a melange and you had to speak to them in vietnamese uh and you also had to understand the culture um what hap had to deal with politically within his own structure uh their the way that their promotion system worked if you would the way the units operated there was a certain asian vietnamese aspect to it that you had to culturally appreciate if you were to be effective so as far as you know, your advisory role, a lot of that was the assist, you know, the assist part of it. So you guys were providing the fires and the coordination with, you know, other units, American and probably Vietnamese, but actually, you know, escorting them and going with them on patrols. Correct. How was that? Uh, well, of course, it was, it was interesting. There there was one patrol we went out when I was the uh, deputy. I went out on one long patrol with a platoon of uh, Vietnamese. And I was the only American, I had my own radio uh, there with me. Uh, and there was this incredible monsoon downpour that we had. We were all hunkered down over this trail and this monsoon just came down like buckets. I mean, it just beat you to death, it was coming down so hard. And I had to call in artillery to mark our positions uh, in there because we were starting to get some bad guys floating through. And you couldn't see two feet in front of your face for the uh, the combination of the darkness and the rain. And I had the earphone up like this and the water is pouring down my face and I'm trying to adjust artillery. And I could barely dis- discern the difference between the artillery and the lightning strikes. And, you know, the bad guys are coming at us and the rain's oh, coming down and the artillery's coming down and I'm trying to make sense. And, you know, the Vietnamese are doing their thing, but that, you know, they're kind of looking at me, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? And I just pointed to the Lieutenant, 
you know, in the direction of the bad guys and kept the artillery coming in. But that was the whole thing was over in the course of maybe 10 minutes. But it was I could just remember kind of the sensory deprivation and overload uh, that we had during that particular period. Uh, and, you know, the Vietnamese doing their thing, the you know, lightning coming in. It was just not, it was like a Spielberg movie. You know, you couldn't make it up. This was an excerpt of the Legends of the 75th podcast. If you want to listen to the entire episode, go to the show notes and sign up for exclusive membership. Why are we charging? Some of the guests want to know that their stories have a level of protection and can share freely without it being available to the general public. To produce a professional product, it costs money. Your subscription helps us ensure we keep it to the level of what's expected from this elite organization. The podcast is the first phase. We plan to add videos, apparel, Ranger history blog, and more episodes each month. So as Legends grows, you will get more bang for your buck. We don't want to interrupt or muddle episodes with sponsorship clips or ads. Your support is much appreciated. We look forward to building this exclusive group with your support. Rangers lead the way.